The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Have you been practicing? Aye, there's this little barn in Sorrento. Tip top, mate. Who else you play? Kev. Uh, Dev. I played with him. Uh, my brother. Yeah, none of them are any good. <laughs> what about, uh, Gary Windows? Uh, no, he parks the bus. Parks the bus, parks the bus, Gary Windows. <laughs> Is he, uh, still seeing your sister? Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. They've been on and off more times than Craig Tinker's light switch. Welcome to episode 55 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that doesn't have a huge amount to say this week, so we'll just continue talking about stuff that happened in the past until we're interrupted by Norris doing Eartha Kit, but not like that, or Mary doing Cliff Richard, but not like that either. I'm Gavin. And I'm here. That's the best you can do, is it? <laughs> well, I'm here. And I've been here for 55 weeks. I can't believe that. 55 episodes. Yep. It's crazy. For 56 weeks, we missed one, remember? Or we missed yeah. two. Yeah. We fudged in Christmas and threw a, an episode of Common Language in, in the feed. And then we took a break after, I think, four weeks when we took the kids out to Connecticut. Oh, that's summer, right. Which we won't be doing this year. No, because you're going by yourself. Hooray. <laughs> I get to drive 1,700 miles on the weekend. Yeah. It's fun to be me. I get to stay here with the dog. Yeah, I wonder what I'd rather do. <laughs> hmm. Remember that year that we were going to fly them out? Oh, God. It was just and I sat in an airport for like four hours and then had to drive them to Connecticut after all. This and was the deal. We booked them on to Spirit. Was it Spirit? It was Spirit. And Spirit's a kind of American version of Ryanair or Sleazy Jet, that kind of thing. <laughs> It's the one that plays Benny Hill music when people are getting on and off the plane just to hurry them the fuck up. And what was that? A steward didn't turn up? So the pilot was there, the co-pilot was there, but they were missing a steward and they need... X amount, yeah. X amount. So they couldn't Apparently, Apparently there may have been a strike. They run so lean yeah. that they don't have any real way to combat something like somebody being ill or somebody not turning up or right. somebody being hungover or any of those kind of things. No. So you took the decision after waiting for four hours, fuck it, I'm just going to drive to Connecticut. You'd driven yep. like a hundred miles to Detroit anyway. Right. You're and like one-eighth of the way there. Right. But then you didn't have your credit cards on you. And I'm at work and you had to get through the Ohio Turnpike. Yeah, I don't have I don't have very much money. I don't have a change of clothes. I don't have any toiletries. I have a nothing. So I'm taking the place of Chloe from 24 here <laughs> as I try to get you an electronic pass to get you through the, the turnpike cameras. But I yes. didn't know what your registration number was. So I had to go through Facebook. And I'm at, I'm at work while this is happening. <laughs> so I had to go through Facebook pictures to try and get a shot of the car 
where the license plate was clear <laughs> and then apply for <laughs> this Ohio Turnpike easy pass thing, which it turned out I didn't really need to do. And I also had to get booked you into hotels and stuff. Yes. Along the way. So right. I was very much coordinating and, this and, from afar. And put money on the one credit card I had, yeah. which had a very low balance. When you it. got there and you got back. Yeah, and I the got there. And you got back, you said, let's go to English Inn. <laughs> so that's what we did, which is a posh place in town. Yes. So I drove all the way there. I chopped them off at my mother's. I spent maybe five minutes with her saying, hi, hiya, how's it going? All right, I'm off now. And drove <laughs> home. Which is kind of what I'm planning on doing. <sighs> Depending on when Benny gets from gets out from Boy Scout camp. Yeah. I may I have to stop for a hotel. I yeah. may have to do that. I stopped briefly. And I got a hotel back, remember? You booked me into that hotel on the way back in Buffalo. I still got you two hotels. You got one hotel going, which right. was the Best Western in... Um, in that town in Pennsylvania we always stop in. Clearfield? Or du-, du Bois? Yeah. Someplace, middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think Clearfield. And then, which is actually a really nice Best Western. Best Western has typically been good for us. And that, and then it was a Best Western in Buffalo. And the only room that they had was the handicapped room. So there was no bathtub. The shower was just the floor. And the room was like right next to check-in. So I heard everyone coming and going <laughs> all night. It's a good thing I was very sleepy. Mm. Okay, I stopped in uh, Niagara Falls. Which is a pit. It's not a pit. <laughs> it's a pit. It's, it's, on the Canadian side anyway. It's kind of a dive. It reminds me of Bourbon Street. Reminds only me of with less sex. Then I stopped at a 50s diner in the middle of nowhere in Canada. <laughs> And, and bought a Rick Astley record for our friend Steve. Remember that? Yeah. That's kind of random. <laughs> it's because he used to look like Rick Astley when he had hair. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's five minutes of... <laughs> what a life we lead, Scintillating broom. content. What a life we lead. And that's without mentioning the escaped convicts that you managed to avoid. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Forgot about them. Shall we do that preamble thing, my dear? I ask, please. I'm going to introduce uh, Corey News into the preamble because there's a bit of Corey News to talk about. Corey News. Look out for a better jingle <laughs> next <Why>? week. <laughs> so last week was the British Soap Awards and Corey did... Eh, okay. Although it lost its Best Soap and Best Actor Awards to Hollyoaks of all things and lost Best Actress to Emmerdale, but Alexandra Mardell picked up Best Newcomer, which Yay! I'm quite happy about. We were very happy. Aidan Suicide was voted Best Storyline and Best Single Episode. And he gave a very stirring speech at that acceptance. Oh, did he? I didn't watch it. Yeah, you know, talking about suicide among men and how it's on the rise and that men need to learn how to speak t- to one another and to their loved ones and be honest about their feelings and that it's not unmanly to talk about your feelings. <laughs> You're looking at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any feelings. <laughs> I'm a void. <laughs> and Gail's bloody monologue was scene of the year. Yay! Perhaps, though, the nicest award went to Sue Nichols, who got the Outstanding Achievement Award and, for reasons best known to herself, 
Sue didn't drop the mic after her speech, and nor did she throw a bouquet at Rula Lenska. <laughs> For shame, Sue Nichols. For shame. Next year. Our mailbag. Friend of the podcast, John, gave us his thoughts on Facebook. Loved your film review this week. Speaking about films, I'm surprised neither of you mentioned Don't Look Now as Friday's episode was straight out of that film. I don't think I've seen Don't Look Now. I don't think I have either. But I've seen the clip, the little gif of the funny little oh, thing in the, the red. Oh, the, 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 the lady w- and, and Donald Sutherland, yes. I've, I've seen the gif yep. many times. I kept expecting Donald Sutherland, wonder, wonder if he's related to Kirk and Maria, to pop up at any time. I did love the episode as it was something different with a film work and seeing things from Carla's point of view. Thought it all added to the drama and the Rana reveal was outstanding. I agree with that. I liked that a lot. Mm. There's a poll on Digital Spy, Corey31519, good or bad, which has split fans right down the middle. Last I checked, 45 votes were like him, voting that it was good, and 44 voting that it was bad. New correspondent Luara from Montreal sent us an email to fill us in on Ooh, Beth Montreal. And Kirk. Yes. Now Ooh. that's Quebec, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's right. Quebec. We've already been filled in on Beth and Kirk, but she adds a little bit more detail here that makes me think it's worth talking about. Alrighty then. So she says on a recent podcast you asked if anyone knew why Beth and Kirk were not married. Indeed we did. In fact we've asked this before. <laughs> Repeatedly. And nobody got back to us. And this time we've been I think inundated. This is the third or the fourth person who's really? explained it to us. Yeah. So here is a storyline as Luara remembers it. Beth Tinker and her son Craig arrived on the street in 2011. Shortly thereafter, in 2012, she got a job as a machinist at Underworld where she met and fell in love with Kirk Sutherland. In 2015 there was a wedding, a memorable one as the theme of the wedding was the 1980s. Beth was dressed as Madonna... Oh, and then now Kirk dressed as Madonna, so they've both dressed as Madonna now. And Kirk was Boy George. <laughs> Steve, remember when Steve dressed up as Boy George recently? They only have like five costumes, <laughs> so it seems that they have to just, <laughs> just rotate them. In 2016, Craig needed information on his birth father as he was applying to become a police officer. He discovered that his birth father, Daryl Parkins, was in prison and his crime was never disclosed. Craig visited his father in prison who told him that he and Beth were still married. (gasps) Craig told Kirk and the pair split up. Craig revealed to the police that Beth was a bigamist and she was arrested at Underworld but released the same day. Bigamy. Beth still continues to use Sutherland as her last name and the storyline was dropped. As far as I know, Beth and Daryl never divorced, but interestingly, Craig had a pet rat named Daryl. I I enjoy listening to your weekly podcast. Thank you, Luara. Again, all about the validation. Yes. And the rat. No, not so much. <laughs> so I think we can draw a line under that now. We yes. now know probably more than enough about Beth and Kirk. Hindsight Corner. Last week, I said that Lorraine Kelly was from Dundee or Brotty Ferry. She was actually born in the Gorbals in Glasgow, but she did, until quite recently, live in a big fancy house in Brotty Ferry and has supported Dundee United since 1987, so it was kind of right. Her accent doesn't sound Glaswegian at all, does it? Well, it's a kind of... it's a watered-down accent for TV, I think. Yeah, yeah, because I know some Glaswegians and they don't speak like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Brotty Ferry is quite posh. Yeah. I want to see the house that she had. It was like... About a million, which for Dundee is... 
a lot. Like Buckingham Palace, pretty much. Sorry, Dundee, but you know it's true. <laughs> we we went to Dundee, didn't we? No, we never really got over to. Well, we got to Fife, but we didn't get to north of Fife, whatever that's called, Tayside. We never got to Tayside. <laughs> whatever that's called in your own know. country. I've, I've been to Dundee. <laughs> I know of what I speak. I didn't hang about. Our Twitter follower count, we haven't done this in a while. Oh. I am on the beg for a bit of a push. We started the year, remember, somewhere in the mid-30s or thereabouts? Uh-huh. At the moment, we're sitting at 196 followers, so we just need another four to get us into the 200s. So if you listen to us and you have a Twitter account, please follow us, if for no other reason than I imagine it's quite good fun trying to figure out which one has just tweeted. Yes, but at least two of those are actors in the show. Yeah, um, Liam and Charlie. Who are both delightful people. Liam we follows love. us? I don't think Liam follows us. Yes, Liam follows... Not only does Liam follow us, Liam follows me. Oh, does he really? Yes, he does. Oh, fancy. I don't think Hi, he follows Liam. me. Well, <laughs> well just, you don't tweet very often as yourself, just whereas I he, do. Just because he follows us doesn't mean to say that he listens to the show. No, but Charlie does. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> hey, Charlie. <laughs> Our daughter has a friend named Charlie, and every time Gav sees him, he says... I'm not doing it. <laughs> Why not? Well, you just did it. Did yeah, but it's it. funny to hey, hear. Hey, Charlie. There, there we go. That wasn't worth it. What are you drinking? I have, um, because I'm feeling better, I've added a dash of alcohol back into my diet. So I have a Seagram's Escapes Peach Fuzzy Navel. So it's like it's 1998 all over again. Or not, that a thing, I think, to eight? not 1998 because I was pregnant in 98. Um, 19, 1997. There we go. Okay. Yes, Peach Fuzzy Naval has been around forever. It was quite the thing in the 80s. Can't say I've heard of it. A Fuzzy Naval. That's what you're drinking. Oh, and I also have a kombucha. Uh, but, oh, another bloom. The spring edition kombucha from GTS, which my darling got me because he loves me. What are you drinking? Uh, non-alcoholic beer. Which kind? Does it matter? Yes. It's bush. Bush. Head for the mountain. Only because I can get 12 of these for 10 bucks or it's 10 oh. bucks for 6 Heineken. Such a deal. Heineken Zero. Heineken Zero is better though. It is, but you get half of it. Shall we dive in? Oh, yeah. This was quite a good week this week. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was pretty good. I uh, I have very few quibbles with it. Oh, I have two. <laughs> we shall fire through. I think we're going to disagree on one of them because you tweeted something that I disagreed with. <gasps> oh, Ooh. our first storyline tonight is Gary and Sarah. This is oh. quite tricky to unthread from the whole Nick and David stuff. So, yeah. apologies if this seems a bit disjointed. On Monday, Gary bumps into Peter in the street and asks after Carla. It's going to be a long road, says Peter, who slinks off. Then up pops Evelyn, eyeing up the wreck of the factory, saying it's a matter of time before someone gets caught for that. And Gary sucks a thoughtful tooth. Correct. Evelyn pops up quite a bit this week. Yeah. Which was delightful. Sarah sits with Gary in Roy's rolls. Good news, Rick the Chin has been lifted by the police, and apparently it's front page news in the Gazette. Huzzah! Sarah has found her old phone, and this seems to disturb Gary. And I'm not too sure how this works. She doesn't find her phone. Oh, no, she found her old phone. Right, her very old phone. Yeah. Yeah. She not didn't find her phone, she found her old phone. Right. But she didn't find the SIM card. 
So I'm not sure how this works. Anyway, Sarah seems happy. Gary seems a little bit upset by this. She's a little iffy about it. Nick is badgering Sarah by text, wondering why she's not at work. Sarah swears Gary to secrecy about Nick and Audrey. Gary's good at keeping secrets, he says, which yeah. is a bit of foreshadowing mm-hmm. that's been missing these last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, now that we know. Well, I went back to the the factory roof collapse episode just to see what Gary did because I couldn't quite remember. Yes, yes, you posted it and got quite a lot of attention. There was only one real reaction that looked kind of suspicious. Where he's the, the roof has collapsed, he runs out the house immediately with Sarah. He drags uh, Gina away without really thinking. Mm-hmm. And then when they've backed away and let the kind of the rubble rest, right. he stands with his hands on top of his head. Yes. And looks at the factory as if to say, Holy shit, what have I done? What have I done? And that's about it. That's the only real giveaway. There's, there, he rushes in like and, a hero to right, try and, and save pulls the people out inside. Izzy. Yeah, he doesn't pull out Izzy because Izzy. Oh, that's right. Izzy isn't even in the factory, but he's freaking out looking for her. Yeah, I remember that. And then he reacts when he sees Izzy kind of angrily at first, but then, with relief, gives her a hug. Mm-hmm. And then in the next episode, he looks at uh, Rana's picture on the uh, crush barriers. Mm-hmm. And kind of looks up at the sky in a way a little bit, mm-hmm. but again, there's not much, not much to give away. Right? Happened. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know that that reaction with his, his head, hands on his head and stuff, could just be like an oh my god moment, like yeah. everybody else. You know, it was it's not enough. over the top. But when you look back on it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I maybe. think, and I said this in a blog post this week. I think that Corey did too good a job at having Gary's ambiguity and his reactions not really leave much of a trace in the mind. And then when you watch it again, it's still kind of, it could still go either way. But it's enough, I think. I don't think it was. I, th- I think we needed something. Uh, it, it's, an, it's enough in hindsight. And quite frankly, I'm happy to not have an awful lot of, oh yeah, of course it was him because he did this and this and this. Because he'd be good at hiding his tracks, wouldn't he? But he kind of disappeared for ages after that. He wasn't really in it all that much. And then he had the whole Rick the Chin stuff stuff where he was very much the good guy of the situation. Right. So, yeah. It makes it hard to to think of him as a dyed-in-the-wool villain. No. What I prefer to think of him as is an accidental villain. Yeah. And it would be hilarious if he... If he goes on to kill other people, that it's kind of by accident. Like mm-hmm. he drops a banana skin in the street <laughs> and somebody <laughs> skips on it and gets run over by a street cab. That would be hilarious. If he continually does that and becomes a bit of a jinx, they're never going to do this. No. But I think it would be quite funny. That would be funny. Anyway, at the factory slash community centre, there's a bit of a buzz among the knicker people for Nick being back early from his hollybobs. Knicker people. And there being no sign of Sarah. In comes Leanne and Paula looking for Nick. Paula says that they need to work on his account of where all his money went and he disembarked to Roy's roles instead of, oh, I don't know, going home or into a meeting room. Right, yeah, where it would be private. Yes. And there wouldn't be people listening. And Gary plants some seeds amongst the knicker people about the dodgy report. Back at the community centre, Beth is eavesdropping on Sarah and Gary talk about Nick. He's been away a long time, she says. 10 out of 10 for observation, says Sarah, who says if Nick is guilty, then he deserves everything that's coming to him. 
and Gary, in the background, audibly gulps. A gulp? Sarah's priority is keeping this place afloat. That's right. Then Leanne turns up at the factory to have a good old bitch at Sarah, telling her she has no authority to do... Okay, I've missed out a bit. (laughs) This is what's happened. Sarah has told Nick that he's not welcome at the factory, that it's her factory now, she's going to look after it, and he can GTF. Yeah, with absolutely no, you know, documented authority to do so. But I think Nick is happy to put some space between him and the gossip mill. Being a suspect for that crime. Of the Nicker people. Yeah, probably makes sense. So Leanne turns up at the factory to have a good old bitch at Sarah telling her that she has no authority to do any of this and Nick is the only one who can run the place. Well, says Sarah, at least this way no money will get laundered to the business and the roof might not cave in again. Leanne reminds Sarah she doesn't have the power to make any decisions and she can't pay the staff without Nick's approval. Privately, Sarah tells Gary that she may need Nick's approval and she thinks Nick was responsible for the roof and Gary's just happy that she doesn't think it was him anymore. He asks if if there's anything that he can do to help. Sarah is feeling out for depth and the Knicker people will go mad if they don't get paid because Knicker people are traditionally a fiscally driven people. The religion is based around phases of their pay cycle. Gary has an idea that involves returning all of them passports. So at home, Gary grabs the passports and Rick the Chin's ledger with all the addresses. He stuffs them in a bag and he leaves. Back at the factory slash community centre, Beth overhears Sarah on the phone stalling a supplier. Angered that there's no money, the knicker people storm off to confront Sarah. Pay up or it's jackets on, they say. Sarah insists that she's going to pay them and she tells them all to clock off early, just to get them out of her face. Correct. Meanwhile, Gary's at Irish Tina's door and she isn't pleased to see him. New. She's got herself a good bloke now, apparently. He dangles her passport Mm. in front of her, but he needs to get paid. A good bloke, you say? He wants... 200 quid for that passport. She says, who do you think I am, the Queen of England? He'll settle for 100 then, cash. Deal, says Irish Tina. Fine. Random fact of the week. According to the UK government website, it costs £75.50 to renew a passport if you apply online, £85 if you complete a paper application. There'll be another random fact of the week (laughs) next week. You so got, this whole you got a little dinghy over there. You may want to close it. Two hundred bucks <laughs> for your passport that you can get for seventy five. Yeah, but there's all the hassle and the waiting and the oh, why did you lose your passport? Oh well, it's a funny story. I don't think they ask for that. Mm. Gary they meets, do here. Do they? You have to have a, you know, what happened? Oh, I lost it. I'm gonna try and get that done tomorrow. Oh, uh, I've been sitting on it for a while. I haven't applied for it. Oh, you mean like, well, you can print out the paperwork. I've done all that. I just need to get my photo taken and get the application processed, which whole post office does apparently. Yes, that's where I got mine done. Because I want to, well, I don't, I don't think it's going to come back in time for getting, going out east, but if it does, then I can come back through Canada. Because at the moment, I can't leave the country because I have no green card. Oh, and I don't have right. a passport. You can't use your British passport? Nope. But the Queen still has a hold on you. But the British passport doesn't have anything that says I'm allowed to reside in this country. Oh. So. So no Niagara Falls for you. Well, no Canadian Niagara Falls, certainly. 50s diner. I will just have to make do with something that doesn't remind me of Blackpool. (laughs) So Gary meets Sarah in the Rovers. He hands over a wad of cash to pay the knicker people that he extorted from the passport owners. 
Sarah is gutted. She wants fuck all to do with this and she pushes the envelope back. This was the only way Gary could think of helping. Sometimes you just have to do something you don't like. The people were just happy to get their uh, rick off their backs and the knicker people can get paid and everyone is happy. So he pushes the envelope back to her. Yes. Then into the rovers come Sally, Beth and Izzy. Sarah promises it will be paid but it's in cash. Sated, the knicker people stand down. Huzzah! Sarah's grateful for Gary for his help. It may not have been the best solution, but hey, it was a solution. Gary admits to missing her and she misses him too sometimes. They have a very brief smooch and then Sarah says goodnight to him. On to Wednesday then. (laughs) Sarah is in Roy's roles going through Roy's bag of phones that Carla nicked when Gary comes in wondering what's going on. Sarah finds one of the wee sticky accessory things that you put in the back. Those things don't have a name, do they? The, the, you know the things you put in the back that you can just slide your finger into. Right, yeah, the little pod stand. The ex- yeah, the extend to make a stand and stuff. Things. I don't know what they're called. It's no. one of them. I don't understand the reason for them. Well, you can kind of give you a better grip on the thing. You're less likely to drop your phone into the toilet, I think, if you're. Unless it slip, unless that thing slips off the back of your phone as well. Well, then you're fucked. <laughs> Sarah finds one of them, uh, and it's identical to the one that Bethany got her as a stocking filler. Gary, rather stupidly, puts this down to coincidence, and she should just claim it on her insurance. Stocking filler. Is that what that's... Is, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that what it's called over there? Instead of a stocking stuffer? Stocking filler, yeah. Yeah. You, y'all don't go for alliteration, then. I've never heard anybody call it anything other than a stocking filler. We call it stocking stuffers here. I swear to God, I've never heard anybody say that. Well, you haven't been paying attention. Sarah has got onto the phone to her uh, mobile company and apparently the phone wasn't insured after all. So that was kind of dull. Adam comes into Roy's rolls and orders a double espresso. Sarah tells Roy he's just trying to be fancy pants, give him a black coffee, and Adam wastes no time in asking Sarah out for a drink later. No, he doesn't. Adam goes round to the barbers to play table football rather than getting his hair cut, which it desperately needs. He asks... Yeah, I'm not a fan of the whole slick back thing. No. He asks who else David plays with and inquires about Gary, who, according to David, parks a bus when he's playing table football. And as far as he and Sarah are concerned, they're on again, off again, more often than Craig Tinker's light switch. So, call back to another mental health story that I've already complained about this month. (laughs) That still made me chuckle. (laughs) It was funny because it's a callback to something that happened so long ago. Best part of a year ago. Craig hasn't hasn't been doing that because he's on medication now. Adam and Sarah are having lunch in the pub. He gives her some chat about not meeting anyone in Italy as lovely as her and she seems to buy it. Then Gary catches up with Sarah in the pub and is disappointed to see that she's having a drink with Adam. After that, peck on the cheek last night, he says, I feel used. She was leading him on. She oh, tells for fuck's him sake. that she doesn't have to defend herself and she's absolutely right. Correct. Adam comes back and says, hey, do you want a drink, Windass? And he tells him to bolt and Gary leaves. Then Gary turns up at Dev's and he's buying his stallion beer and other junk and Bethany's in the shop wondering what's happening. Gary explains about her mum and that scumbag Barlow who are looking pretty cosy to him. Scumbag Barlow? Of all the Barlows, Adam's probably the least scumbaggy. He does have a tendency to, I don't know, fake DNA results and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's true, but only for the ladies he loves. And also, so greases his hair quite a lot. So why does Gary hate Adam? Be- because Just because of this? Because of, yeah. I don't remember anything previous. 
Yeah, because, and, you know, you remember previous when Sarah and Adam almost got it on and then Sarah left. And oh, yeah, yeah. That was Adam that. clocked Seb. Not Seb. Yeah, Seb. Remember? Oh, Adam because... punched Seb oh, because was Seb was trying to defend Sarah's honor for Gary, who was his employer at the moment. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. And then Sarah blamed the whole thing on Adam, if you'll recall, telling Gary that, you know, it was all Adam's doing the whole smoochy smoochy. Right. In in Adam's flat that, that she was in voluntarily. Do we think that Adam got his hole in Italy? Of course he got his hole in Italy. I can't seem to get his hole here. No, but there are a lot more women in Italy. And are there? That accent probably works better in Italy than this it is true. on the street. Mary bumps into Adam at Depp's. She's very pleased to see him, but admits yeah, she that is. she's not feeling herself and he offers his ear whenever she wants to talk. Which is sweet. That was lovely. Yeah. Then Gary is moodily supping a pint in the Rovers and Sarah goes to his table. She lays down the law. She's free to have a drink with anyone. Gary wants another chance, but Sarah can't commit to anything with him right now. Plus, he's been really, really weird and stalkery. Yes. On to Friday then, and Gary turns up at the factory slash community centre with a costa and a Danish pastry or something for Sarah, who doesn't seem all that impressed, but takes it anyway. Gary tells Izzy that their relations are thawing. Yeah, and, you know, Sean winds him up saying, hey, where's ours? You bring up one person, what about the rest of us? Yep. The difference being that Gary isn't trying to shag Sean. <laughs> Not at the moment. The knicker people are talking about holly bobs. Thanks to Gary's indiscretion, they're all under the impression that he and Sarah are back together again. So when she shows up and they gently rib her about it, she doesn't take too kindly to this and wants a word with Gary in private. Correct. She's not impressed. Nope. She doesn't want his coffee. Correct. She doesn't want his fucking Danish. Nope. She doesn't want him spreading rumours. Capiche? Absolutely. He doesn't seem to capiche. He doesn't. So he turns up later to see Sarah at work to tell her that he's quitting. He's off to find some building work. She says, well, no offence, but that didn't really work out last time you were looking for building work. Correct. And he says, oh, I'll just try harder. So she wishes (laughs) him good luck, which seems to be significantly less than what he was expecting her to say. Yeah. Get it right up, you Gary. Seriously. No means no. To Danish. (laughs) And coffee. And sex. In that order. (laughs) That finishes up that storyline for the week. So Gary has gone from being the roof ninja to... Just being kind of weird about coffee and trying to get back with Sarah. Well, he was weird about trying to get back with Sarah ever since Sarah dumped him, as you'll recall. He's been like this. Yeah, this is a really slow burn about the whole factory thing. Yeah. I'm still not buying it. Well, as you recall, there was there was a really interesting scene this week where Gary is sitting in the rover's and in the background is Nick, kind of I did notice that, fuzzy yeah. in the background. Staring at him. Was he was staring at him? him? No, he was staring at his phone, I think. He was kind of in his own mind about, like, well, all this garbage going on. But it was on an interesting stuff. two shot. But it was, yeah, it was a very interesting shot. It made me think that perhaps the show is foreshadowing that perhaps Gary didn't work alone. Yeah, even if he didn't work alone. It was still him on the roof. Right. Hmm. Mm. 
Yeah. And as you'll recall, before that roof came down, both Nick and Robert were on the phone with somebody talking about wanting Carla to pay. Nick was adamant that Carla was going to pay, yeah. Yeah. Which makes me think perhaps one of them paid Nick or paid Gary to do it. Then why wouldn't he confess to that when he was confessing to Sarah? I don't know. Gary's not very bright. Why didn't he call the police instead of Sarah? That was unforgivable. That was just just so stupid. And then crawl out of Rick the Chid's office into the street. The timeline of that still isn't very clear to me. Like, who found him? Somebody like, he found was him. passed out in the street the all bloody. The police found him? Somebody found him and, and brought and called in an ambulance, and an ambulance brought him to the hospital, apparently. Because I'm kind of assuming that Sharon was behind all this, but... Well, Sharon called the police. We assume. We don't know for sure. It had to have been Sharon. We assume. We're still assuming. Because she's the only one who knew that Rick the Chin was going to kill Gary. But the police don't look for Gary... And find out who Rick the Chin was trying to kill. So why did they arrest Rick the Chin for attempted murder if nobody's spoken to Gary, the guy who was going to get murdered? It was for his loan sharkery. Was it for the loan sharkery? I According to the front page of the Gazette, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. The whole thing is just the way Gary was able to drag himself out with, and, and open a door and get out onto the street when he can't even stand up. It's like Jamie running into the <laughs> Red Keep <laughs> after after Euron Greyjoy stabbed him in the kidneys and was fine. Yes. <laughs> no, let's never speak of that again. <laughs> Our next storyline tonight is David and Nick. I think this was kind of the main event of the week, wasn't it? Yes, the main event. On Monday at number 8, David gets a text from Nick wanting to talk. Audrey, it seems, has disappeared from the face of the earth, and the only reason Shona is hanging around is that she has nowhere else to go and she's skint. So that's nice, isn't it, Helen? David continually apologises. What are you implying? I'm not implying anything, I'm just... Just saying that's nice, that she's the only there because she's skint. David continually apologises to Shona. He insists that they were going to give the money back, and Gail comes down the stairs and thinks it would be better for everyone if David moves out of his own house for a spell to allow people to breathe. Shona agrees and then leaves them to it. So where does where does David go? Is he sleeping in the barbers? On the couch? Do we find out where he slept? I don't know. I think he might have been sleeping in the barbers. On the couch. Maybe. He's yeah. only there for one night. It's hard of the hardship. I think it's like two nights, isn't it? No, because I think everything's sorted out. Why? Well, maybe it's two nights. No, because he's he's still not home by Friday. Yeah, he, he goes no, he goes there to just to take a shower. He says I needed to take a shower because I've got court today. But he's not back until the end of the show. Yeah, by the end of Friday. Yeah. Spoiler. In Roy's Rules, Paula Sorry. thinks theft and money laundering are pretty serious charges and it transpires that Leanne has fallen for the story that Nick was only trying to help David. Ugh. Paula's surprised the police haven't been around and she gives him a hard time for all the lies. It would help if David puts his hand up on this, she says. Then Nick sees David at the barber. Nick wants to know if David is up for the deal. David thinks that there's something he's not being told. Nick tells him he's on the level. This is all about distancing Nick away from the roof and insurance, he says. David needs a contract. And wouldn't you believe it, Nick handily has one prepared. Oh. 
David doesn't know whether to be suspicious or impressed. Or both. And be suspicious. So this is the deal that they made last week where... Well, Nick this said, is the deal that Nick proposed last week. Yeah, where Nick said, if you take the carry the can for this, I'll sign over the barbers to you, and mm-hmm. then it's all yours for when you come out of prison, and I go off a scot-free. Yeah, even though you're the one who actually has kids, and a life, and everything. Later, David isn't sure, but Nick says trust runs both ways, and once it's signed over, no one can take the business away from him. And David says, oh, whatever, and signs just as Beckett comes in to arrest them both for theft. Literally, the ink is not dry on that contract. Convenient. Audrey and Gail are having a cup at Roy's Rolls. Audrey doesn't know how Gail can defend her boys. She ignores what she doesn't want to see. In comes Leanne, and Paul is just called to let her know about the arrests. At the police station, Nick has been interviewed... Beckett knows that Nick was in financial problems and desperate enough to steal from his own gran. Makes him capable of pulling an insurance scam, reckons Beckett. Nick insists it was David what did it. David and Natalie stole from Audrey and Beckett falls out of her chair in shock. Nick had second thoughts and wanted to bail and David was treating this like a loan that they'd pay back. Then Nick casts up the fact that David had been raped last year. Nice. And Nick felt guilty and David played on that. Mm. Nick agreed to be a business partner to keep an eye on things and now Nick sees the folly in that. David needs to learn a lesson and face up to what he's done, says Nick. He needs to grow up and be a man. Oh, God. I wanted... Oh, bravo. I wanted to throw the iPod across the bed again. The iPad across the bed. Oh. I told you it's 1997 again. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> a thousand songs in your pocket, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't that sound fancy? Fancy. Now David has been interviewed, song solicitor. Becca explains that Nick has thrown David under the bus. He says David is a thief. Well, is that true? Then Rita and Audrey are in the rovers. Family means nothing to those boys, Audrey says. Prison, though, says Rita. That's a big step. And Audrey says that she loves those lads, but the one thing that hurts her most is that they don't love her back. Oh, That was quite sad, wasn't it? Ellen? Yes. David loves her. Nick is finished. Leanne says that David's already left without speaking to her. Nick asks Paula to find out what David has been charged with, and then he and Leanne leave the station. So Nick comes back to the barber and finds David sitting in the chair, supping on a beer. Nick's pissed off. David's only been charged with money laundering. Only? Only. <laughs> Nick has been charged with money laundering and theft. What did David tell them? The truth, says David. But we had a deal, says Nick. And David thinks it's hilarious that Nick pretends that they can trust each other. Nick says you can whistle out your arse if you think you're getting half the business now. But David points out that the deed of transfer pretty much covers that. And he throws Nick out, threatening him with trespass. And for that, I said huzzah! Yep. Nick leaves and David has a wee sweet... And David has a smug wee slug on his beer. Correct. I loved that scene. Me too. I wasn't expecting it. I, I, I wasn't either. I was I was so angry. I kept yelling. I was like, no, David, don't don't do it. Don't sign it. Don't be dumb. And then like Nick's whole sob story. I was yelling. Like, you're such a dick. Nick's <laughs> a dick. Nick's a dick. But then when David double crossed him. I cheered, huzzah! It was a whole gambit of emotions then. It really was. Yeah, I think we should have probably trusted David to be 
Smarter than he looks. Smarter and kind of sly and sleek it and manipulative. Right. I mean, they are from the same family, after all. Because he played Nick he pretty did. well and all that. Just, he oh, did. well, I'm not sure and I don't know if I can mm. trust you and blah, 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 blah. But really, the question should have been, can you trust me? Right. And the answer was, not no. in your life. So, so on Wednesday, Nick turns up at the barber's and he's sketching the details, but he reckons that David's a Judas who will come to a sticky end. <laughs> it's like, does that make you Jesus then, asks David. Yeah, does that make you? Jesus Christ! They're about to come to blows when Gail comes in and Nick leaves with the sound of David wondering if Leanne will visit him in prison, ringing in his ears. Then Audrey's round having tea with Gail. Gail goes out on a very feeble limb and says that Audrey knows the boys are good and they can be punished without having to go to jail in that. What, says Audrey, by decking the pocket money? Gail wants her to drop the charges. And Audrey says, look, this is out of my hands now, and if Correct. he doesn't drop it, Audrey will say something that she regrets. They know they knew what they were doing, she says. Yeah, they're adults, Gail. Yep. They're adults. Gail continues to lay the future of the family down to Audrey's actions and how she deals with this, which seems spectacularly unfair. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely unfair. It's like, Gail, these boys, they're adults. If anyone's responsible for the decline of this family, it's them. Yep. The ones who stole from their gran. Yeah, to try and make out that Audrey's at fault for wanting justice for this. Right. That seems really... Come on, Gail. Really stupid. Come on. It's nice that she loves her sons, though. I guess it is a family thing, though, isn't it? Families probably do things like this. and I, so Steal I can money understand, from one another? No, but I can understand that Gail wants... The anybody, family to stick by the family. Anybody's, but Audrey was completely within the rights to say, get it right fucking up you. Seriously. So Audrey's running her thoughts by Claudia and Ken to see what they think about it. And Ken thinks that they often forgive their families of the most heinous crimes, like that time he was pushed down the stairs by Daniel, <laughs> or when Tracy smashed Charlie's skull in with an ornament. <laughs> Claudia thinks that they get what they deserve. She's a bit more right-wing right, about that's, this. That's, that's because <laughs> nobody in her family has ever tried to kill her. Audrey isn't sure why she's the of. one that's fretting about it. Seriously. Again, you're absolutely right, Audrey. Correct. Later, Gail is still going on about how kids aren't all that bad. Ugh. Audrey has had second thoughts about calling into the station tomorrow and retracting her statement. And comes Nick and Gail waste no time in filling Nick in with this information. Nick appreciates it and insists he's sorry. He's so sorry, in fact, that he's ordered a memorial plaque for Nigel Havers. Isn't that a nice gesture, says Gail. Uh, oh, do fuck off, Gail. Correct. Plus, Audrey says, wait a minute, you spelt Nigel Havers wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even be bothered getting a dead man's name right. She calls him fake and phony. You, you forgot and the you. And she's like, there's no you in Havers. <laughs> Cease. How the fuck are you spelling Nigel Havers? <laughs> That's the joke, because his name was Lewis. Which does have a U in it. Oh, right, okay. But we call him Nigel Havers. That's the joke. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you... I had no idea you were trying to talk about <laughs> So, uh... Are you sure that's non-alcoholic beer over there? Yes. Oh, I'm quite sure. <laughs> she calls him fake and phony. And besides, she's already had a memorial. Or, or Claudia's bought right, a memorial Claudia with the other the, ladies. And the ladies. And the identical ladies from the Nigel Havers... Uh, Fan club. Yes. The Addicted to Love video featuring <laughs> Nigel Havers and all those ladies from the funeral who looked exactly the same, apart from the one 
The one black lady. There's one black lady. Yes. Because he was diverse and inclusive. Well As done, he Michael should Peters. be. Well done. Yes. So she throws... He was an equal opportunity gigolo. <laughs> on Friday then, at number eight, David's on the phone looking to speak to Natalie. He leaves a message for her which Shona overhears. David thinks it would of be pretty stupid to call her in the house if anything was going on, don't you think? He'd rather go to prison than have Shona think anything was going on. It's his day in court today, so that must have been fast-tracked. There's something David has to do first, though. He needs to fix this mess. So David's at the lawyer's office talking to Adam. Adam wants to know that David is sure, and David confirms that he is. And he says, what does Nick think about this? And David says, Nick has fuck all to do with it. This is none of his business. Adam needs a couple of hours. Meanwhile, Imran is lurking in the background, observing all this. Correct. Because Adam asks David if he wants representation, and David says, look, I'm going to be telling the truth, so I think I'm okay on my own, but thanks anyway. Right, plus it's kind of late in the day. Yep. Leon and Nick are in Roy's roles. Nick has decided to plead guilty in the hope that he gets a lenient judgement. He still can't believe David is on the lesser charges and reckons that David is so slippery, he'll probably get off. Sure, but not like layers in the background. Yeah, so she overhears this and reckons that Nick is still trying to hide stuff and cover his tracks. And Leanne, it's her turn to suck a thoughtful tooth at this. Correct. Then David is home to see Audrey. She doesn't want to speak to him, but he has something for her. He hands her over an envelope that turns out to be a transfer of the barbers into her name. Yay! I didn't see that coming either. That, uh, it made sense. It does make sense. It kind of resets everything. And it feels like it's right coming from David. Yes. Nick would never do this. Oh, God, no. It's all hers, he says. Lock, stock and two smoking barrels of beard oil. (laughs) All the money is tied up in the business. Not all of it, but most of it. And Audrey accepts, but stops short of forgiving him. There's a long way to go, Milado, she says. And he says, I know. So later, David explains to Gail and Shona what he did with the barbers, and Gail thinks that's good of him. It's the best he could do, and he doesn't want to fight anymore. And this changes things for Shona. She's mm-hmm. scared he's going to get sent down. So they talk about Max and Lily, and Shona's happy to step up and to wait for him until he gets out, if that's what happens. She loves those kids like her own, and she loves him. Well, he loves her. And they make up, kind of. But David has one of those looks when he's hugging her. Something's still on his mind, I think. In comes Imran. He's keen to represent David and not do it for the money. He'll do his best to get David home tonight. Pro bono, Imran. But not like that. (laughs) At home, Nick is getting ready. He suggests that Leanne stays away, which makes Leanne wonder if Nick is lying to her still. Is David really the victim here? Hmm. Nick d- denies stealing the money and once again Leanne lays down the ultimatum that unless he starts telling the truth, they're finished. And rather than answer, She's out of there. he deflects, claiming he doesn't want her at court because he's ashamed. <sighs> Gail, it turns out, she still has a key to the flat and she just walks in, which is a typical mum thing to do. Yeah, and Leanne's like, Knock on the door. I didn't realise you still had a key. Gail, for this scene, is back to being stupid comedy Gail again. She comes in claiming Mm. that she's there for both Nick and for David. Basically, she's Switzerland. And stonily, Leanne wishes Nick good luck. She's ready to listen when he's ready to stop lying. And Gail is shocked. Shocked, I say, that Leanne is not coming to court to Mm. stand by her man. Leanne has turned up at Steve's for some reason. And she ends up speaking with Liz, who explains why she kept on forgiving Jim over and over again. She stops at Steve's to pick up Oliver. Because remember, oh God, Liz, right. is, Liz is talking to her grandson, Oliver, saying, your mummy's on the way. And then, lo and behold, there's mummy. 
No, I that's why. Exchange. I was typing did, stuff up. Did you, did you not see Oliver running around? No. I'm typing. I've got my head down. I'm typing. I don't see an awful you lot of what happens. You don't hear the pitter-patter of little feet. Not when I'm typing. <laughs> she speaks with Liz, who explains why she kept on forgiving Jim over and over again. Right, she's the Tammy Wynette of Coronation Street. Better the devil you know, and she has no regrets. She doesn't have to wonder what might have been. Well, that's not true, because she can wonder what might have been if she'd stood up for herself and kicked Jim to the curb. Yeah, I was not happy with this. I was like, what the hell? What is wrong with Liz and Audrey with this whole... Oh, come on. Yeah. Take take back the abusive liar that's mm-hmm. been abusive and, and lying and gaslighting you all this time. Sarah Lou and Leanne. It's just, it angered me so much. And I was like, come on, Liz. It's fine that you tell yourself these things. Because it's yourself. It's not cool for you to be doing this to Leanne. Pretty bad advice right there. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? What the fuck, Liz and Audrey? It still gives Leanne some pause. Ugh. We don't get to see anything that happened in court. No, we don't. That pisses me off so much. Again. It's a time thing, I get it, but... Again, it's like... It's like that time in Game of Thrones. Oh, do I have to go back to Game of Thrones? <laughs> Where Tyrion asks Bran about about his interesting story, and, and Bran says, it's a long one, and Tyrion says, we have time, and then it cuts away. It's like that. And other like, times that it happened or, in Game of Thrones. Or it's like a number of things that have happened in Coronation Street, which is a bit more apropos, wouldn't you say? Yes. No. No, it's not. Game of Thrones, talking about Game of Thrones is more apropos. Yes. Right. Because I miss it, even though it sucked the oh, last God, season. No. We don't get to see anything that happened. David has to sign into the police station every few days, and it seems that Nick has more or less got away with it. There's a trial of issue, apparently. This means that because Nick and David told conflicting stories but both pled guilty, they have a trial for the judge to decide the sentence. Imran reckons that Natalie is the key to all this and he says to David, find her and you might just get away with all this. Mm. So this is foreboding that Nick's going to kill Natalie. Yeah? So that... Natalie is going to kill her. I think he, he might be just desperate enough to do it. Nick doesn't get his hands dirty, I don't think. He might have to. He gets home to find that Leanne has been doing some packing. Mm-hmm. And slightly later, Nick finally confesses. It was him who got Natalie to take Audrey's cash to pay off Elsa. But then Nigel Havers went and died, and it seemed easier to blame him than to face up to it. But then David blackmailed him before he had a chance. It was David's fault that Nick didn't get a chance to put things right. Nick wasn't going to put things right anyway. No, of course he wasn't. So Audrey's less than impressed that David comes into the house and is free, and not shackled in irons and she refuses his offer for a cuppa. She has some conditions about the barbers. She has no experience about working in a gentleman's shop. <clears throat> Assuming that he doesn't go to prison, he can continue working there for Shona and the kiddies, and she wants repaid. Oh, and by the way, Maria's going to be in charge. David is slightly disappointed, fun. but agrees to be the organ grinder Maria... But agrees to be... The monkey. David is disappointed, but agrees to be Maria's monkey... Maria is the organ grinder. It's more than he deserves. <laughs> that was that was so painful to watch you try to do. Oh, no, seriously. And it's not what I wrote down, which is <laughs> even worse. 
Lan can't believe it's such a mess. Nick claims not to be a bad person and thought Leanne would understand, because after all, she's stolen from her friends in the past and committed insurance fraud. And burned down a restaurant. And been a prostitute. Although he doesn't bring that up. She did things that she's not proud of because she was desperate, says Nick. And that's exactly where I am, he says. I was desperate to keep you and Oliver. Blah, blah, blah. And Simon, he, he finally mentions, he finally yep. remembers Simon. That's nice. Because Simon's away now. Right. So now we can mention him. But right. we haven't got to that yet. Nick has packed and is about to leave and he admits to being an idiot. But he did it all for her. He didn't want to lose her, Oliver or Simon. It felt like home, he says. He calls her the love of his life. And she says, oh, wait on then. She doesn't know how they'll sort this out, but she can't face losing him again. And they hug. Yes. Uh, that's how we, far yeah. we get with that. This I, I think her mind is made up when little Oliver runs out of his bedroom and Nick talks to him and picks him up and takes him back to his bedroom to read where the wild things are. Oh, if, if there's one way to get into a mother's pants. It's by being nice to their kids. Hmm. Good yeah. to know. <laughs> it's, it worked for you. Well, so, I don't know. I don't know either. I, that whole thing with Liz just really annoyed me so much. That was annoying. It really was. I liked I liked the David stuff. Yeah, me too. I was kind of less happy about the next stuff, but Nick... At least they finally confessed, and Leanne kind of knows the, the most recent version of the truth, I guess. Yeah. And she's making a decision based on that, so she's right. not being hoodwinked so much. No, no, she's so this more. Means this is she's all more Lady Mac- Yeah, she's more Lady Macbeth now right. than she than she was. But I mean, all that stuff that Leanne did—that was back when Nick had a different face. Yes, yeah, some of it. I yeah. think it's hard to remember. People have been showing some old clips. I'm sure lots of Canadian people will, rem- will remind us next week. Of course. Which 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 Nick Tilsley face do you prefer? I think I prefer the Ben Price one. It's got a kind of weathered look about him. Yeah. Adam Ricketts was a bit too... Too pretty? Yep. Yeah. With these, is that what you call a flock of seagulls here? When it kind of comes down to some curtains? Is that no. What What's flock of seagulls? Flock of seagulls is when you have like... a. A, a really long fringe in the center and then the sides are are uh greased back remember um in friends in the thanksgiving episode where chandler goes you mean there's no episode of game of thrones that has a flock of seagulls in it <laughs> chandler goes back home with ross for thanksgiving oh yes chandler yes. has flock of seagulls here huh i prefer my definition yeah, that's so what do you call this? Just curtains then? I guess. Had kind of blonde curtains and yeah, a very it, pronounced six-pack. Yes, he was very pretty. Like Jamie Lannister. There you go. I brought it back to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Masterfully done. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> yes. Let's talk about Dev's Bairns. Okay. On Monday in Dev's... Dev... <laughs> Have to take a run at this. Oh God! <clears throat> oh God! Here comes the dev voice. Strap yourselves in, folks. I'm going deep. Oh God! And Dev. Oh God! Dev gets a call from his bed. That's what he says. How's it going, man? <laughs> and then immediately it's just oh 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 it's terrible it's news. Terrible news. Uncle Ume has just called him racist. <laughs> oh 
No, he didn't. <laughs> All right. But he has given them some terrible news. He'll get there as soon as he can. It turns out his 80-year-old Uncle Ravi is on death's door back in India. He'd love to go see him, but who'd look after the kids in the shop? And Mary's in the shop when this happens, and she says that she can take care of the kids. Just get your arse on the plane before it's too late, she says. Yep. Yes, she does. So later, Evelyn comes into Dev's holding a job advert that he's posted in the window. Look no further, she says. I'm just the person you want to keep your shop going while you're gone. And she'll take the job. She's done working at the garage. She'd heard all the suggestive remarks about dipsticks that she's prepared to put up with. And Dev tries to talk her out of it, but Evelyn is insistent. No, I will do this job. Then Asha and Addy come in uh, so Evelyn can play tough with them. Have I got this job or what, says Evelyn? Dev says out, no. Yeah. Oh, does he? He says initially he says no because Asha, he and Mer, he and Mary are joking about evil grand leader. So privately, Asha is definitely going to go at that party with Amy later on, and she gets Addy to cover for her. Then Dev is in the shop. Oh room. yes, because by the way, y'all, Asha asks to go to a party, and Dev says no. Dev says no. But then she's definitely going yep. and she tells her brother to, yeah. Because you, you mentioned that she's definitely going to the party before you said that. I'm aware of that. Dev yeah, you said no. Could, yeah, so you had a chance to explain that, which you did, so now we can move on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Dev is in the shop wondering where Asha was. Addy tries to cover, but Mary drops her in it. She's already spoken to Tracy, who says that Asha and Amy are off to that party that she was banned from attending. So you're not going to talk about um, Asha and Amy getting ready and Tracy being nice and saying, of course you can go. Do you think I'm afraid that you're going to get knocked up every time you leave the house? I had no plan to do so. And Asha says, your mom's so cool. And Amy says, yeah, she's not trying to kill somebody. Then Dev has dragged Asha out of the party and brought her home. So embarrassing, Dad. He screams at her to get in that house and scrape that muck off her face. Which, she doesn't have very much muck on her face at all. I didn't think she had any. She's got a little bit of definer on her cheeks. Has she? Asha hates Dev and wishes her mum was still alive. Sunita would let me dress like a tart and go out partying when I've got exams on, she says. Cruel. Later in the pub, Dev admits to Mary that he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he needs to cancel this trip. And Mary thinks he should take Asha and Addy with him. Show them their cultural roots. Bond with them. Plus, the writers have no fucking idea what to do with any of them for the next few months, so frankly, it would just be a relief to see the back of them. And Dev agrees to Mary's wisdom. Right, it would be kind of awkward for Dev to be off the show for, what is it, like six months that he's going to be gone? Oh, I'm not sure. It's a number of months anyway. Yeah, he, he, it's, it was, it's been in the news that he's taking a sabbatical. On Wednesday... At- <laughs> On Wednesday, Dev, he's breaking the news to the kids about India. Asha is a cow. She's never heard of this uncle and she'll be fucked if she's letting Dev ruin her summer. She seems a little concerned when Dev says that he's going to go into school to speak with her teacher to see if they can finish early. Asha continues to be a cow and then leaves for school. Right. Addy's awesome about this. He's like, oh, cool. I get out of school early. Yeah. I'm all for that. Then later, Dev's at the counter trying to get his flight sorted out. Even comes in wondering uh, how much these easy peelers are. She thinks the kids will have a ball watching an elderly relative die. Then she foils the world's worst shoplifter and expects that she'll be getting a job to look after the store now. Yes. And this is where Dev says, Okay, fine, you've got the job. 
because you foiled this kid who very obviously is for some reason stuffing a package of crackers into his front pocket of his hoodie. I thought he was trying to put it in his hood at the start and I thought it would have been a bit more successful. Like he's a little kangaroo. Right. It's like that's the world's worst put... shoplifter. Up the inside of the jacket, that's where stuff goes. Shame on you, Bruno. Well, Shame on you. Dev and the kids are about to leave. Dev has spotted that Asha is permanently angry, which Mary puts down to her being a teenager. Yeah. Dev wonders where his little girl has gone. And off they go, <sighs> leaving Mary to announce that she's going to keep an eye on Evelyn. And Evelyn says, ooh, big wows. <laughs> so that's them out of it. Yes. And that gives Evelyn something interesting to do. Yes. They've built this up quite nicely. I've always been a fan of... Uh, Maureen Lipman in this role. Yes, I. we all love the evil grand. Even from the start when she was super evil. Right. I, I always she, liked the character. Yeah, she's less evil now, but she is... It, she had a little thing with Dev where yeah, she, she continually tried to steal from him and stuff. With, with Dev. Yep. So it makes just so much sense for her yeah. to be taken over the mantle Absolutely. in the shop. Yeah. And hopefully this is going to be a start of interesting little... And it means, dialogues with people. It means that she she gets to have storylines of her own that isn't tied to um Ty. Ty. <laughs> it's not tied to Ty. Correct. Or anybody else in that family. She gets to, you know, break out and do stuff on her own, even though she's horribly cruel later on in the Norris thing. Our next story tonight. Gemma's up the duff, y'all. Well, we knew that. On Monday, Gemma's having a hard time with morning sickness in the cabin. Chesney comes along to check on her and he's brought some ginger along in the shape of ginger creams, which makes her vomit again. Chess thinks that she should go and see the doctor, and Rita agrees. Something's not quite right. Gemma doesn't care and throws him out. He can stick his ginger creams up his ginger arse. Right, right. up his ginger, up his ginger arse. arse. Rita badgers Gemma a little. We haven't done that for a couple of weeks. I know, it was nice to get that out. Yep. Rita badgers Gemma a little and she seems to think about going to get checked out after all. Thank God, we don't have any Tim's dad this week. No. What a relief. Oof. But she doesn't go and get checked out because on Wednesday she turns up at the kebab shop and the smell turns her stomach, which of course it was going to do. Why would you turn up to a kebab shop if you got morning sickness? Everything stinks of garlic. And other things. And other things that you probably don't want to know what they are. <laughs> so she goes off to pick up in the box. Chess doesn't think that Gemma should be working. She looks so ill. She doesn't really. She, she looks alright. She looks pale. She she's she's got dark circles under her eyes. She does look ill. She's not wearing as much makeup. He uh, she asks him to stop the elephant's foot from spinning. Right. But it's not spinning. But everything's spinning. And then Gemma passes out. Yeah. Oh, the slapstick humor is back. Oh, I, ha 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 ha. I have to say. Uh. I thought it was great that first episode on Wednesday. I Ugh. thought I thought they were back to being dumb, just normal Gemma. Not not quite so dumb, but just dumb enough to be believable. I, I thought it was it's funny. It's such a slapstick move. The whole why is everything spinning and then patump. But the way that they upped that was that they drew attention to the fact that the elephant's foot wasn't spinning, right? When it should be, because right. he hadn't found out yet. Anyway. Ches has taken Gemma to the hospital. He thinks she should have listened to him and put the baby first. This is a nightmare, says Gemma. 
why did they ever have sex? It was the worst idea they've ever had. And she says this at the top of her lungs. Yes, in a which again, just full loved, waiting room. And Chesney is back to being this anal dick who's just really anal and stupid and like. That was the name of my first high school band. What? Anal and stupid? Anal dick. <laughs> which one were you? You want to see the logo. <laughs> the nurse comes out looking for a urine sample. Chess tries to impress the nurse by explaining the advice that he'd given Gemma. And Gemma uh, retorts to this by throwing the cardboard piss pot at Chesney. The nurse <sighs> thinks that Gemma has an extreme form of morning sickness. It's the same thing that uh, the Duchess of whatever, what she had. It the Duchess of whatever? Yeah. yeah. The that, Duchess. Was a, that was the name of my second band in high school. <laughs> the Duchess of whatever. It might improve with anti-sickness drugs. The nurse notices that Gemma is a twin. Not only that, says Gemma, her mum was a twin, her nana was a twin, and whatever colour Chesney has in his face absolutely drains. Which is weird because twins tend to skip a generation. Yeah. Because my my gran was a twin, and then my older brothers were a twin, were our twins. Yep. And then there were no twins in my children's generation. Thank God. He's put two and two together. The nurse is trying to tell him that they might be having twins. And Gemma looks at her belly in much the same way John Hurt does in the movie Alien. But um pum And then Chesney. Is this when Chesney passes out or does he pass out later? Yeah, no, we'll get to that. All right, yeah. Which is a callback to the Gemma passing out. But interesting that I managed to get a cheeky little Alien reference in there. Yes, well done. Mm-hmm. You couldn't think of anything related to Game of Thrones. Well, no, because <laughs> Colson Smith and Ben Price and Jack P. Shepherd didn't talk about Game of Thrones this week. They talked about Alien on That's their right. Sofa Cinema Club. Yes, which, which is, is charming and wonderful and everybody should go listen to it. It's well worth uh, it's well worth the download. Yes. I listened to the Hannah Montana one despite the fact I haven't seen Hannah Montana. Right. And I listened but- to the Alien one. Alien is a movie that I'll probably give an 8 or a 9 out of 10. Yeah. I really, really enjoy it. I give Alien. it a 6. Yeah, it's better than that. But Meh. what I'm worried about is that the top three movies at the end of this whole experience are going to be <laughs> Hannah Montana. And we bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. And Cheaper by the Dozen 2, I imagine, are going to be the top three <laughs> movies that are going to come out of all this. We bought- Stand aside, Godfather. <laughs> Move over, Shawshank Redemption. There are some new kids in town. It's interesting because Peter Gunn, our Brian, was in the Hannah Montana movie, which we didn't know. Uh, we need to check we that. That can't possibly be true. We we absolutely it is true because I looked it up online, and it's hilarious because if you Google Peter Gunn here in America, the, a wrestler, the actor a Peter porno. Gunn doesn't come up first. It's a TV series from the seventies. Oh, <laughs> but then if you go down Peter further. Gunn. Anyway. So this twin business is news to Chesney, who continues to do Gemma's head in. They argue about the How whole that How can that, that be news to Chesney when Paul and Gemma are twins? Well, they point that out to him. Yeah. Chesney was quick and Gemma was impulsive, but at least she had, at least she put her shopping down before she put the key in the door. <laughs> they do this while the nurse is in the room. AKA, Ches, put on a condom next time. Yep. And uh, she sends... Safe uh, sex, kids. Send them for a scan where safe they continue sex. to argue. Have safe sex. Gemma thinks that if it's twins, they can have one each. That's what happened with her and Paul. And they turned out great. And they continue to argue in front of the technician as she does the scan. Is everything all right? 
and the technician grabs her collar a wee bit at this. She confirms that there is a heartbeat, and Gemma says, if it's got a little hoover in there, it's definitely Chesney's. <laughs> so that was fucking brilliant. That, that part was funny. Chesney seems to understand what's about to happen as the technician reveals that it isn't twins. It's quads. And this is when Chesney passes out. And it's Chesney's turn to pass out. Gemma wants another opinion, and Chesney wants a cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah. (laughs) The first time Benny got scanned, he flashed a peace sign. I have an ultrasound picture of unborn Benny flashing a peace sign. Cool. Yeah. Nick kept his legs crossed, so we didn't get to figure out what he was. We still don't know. Later, while they're trying to come to terms with how they feel about this, Paul and Emma drop in on Ches and Gemma at the hospital. They hear talk of babies and immediately think twins. Ooh. But it ain't twins, says Gemma, as she hands over the scan, which seems to confuse Paul and Emma equally. I know, they turn their heads like this, like like little puppy dogs, like, wow. The Scottish doctor comes in to confirm that, despite Gemma's assumption of a mistake, that she does indeed appear to be carrying quads. So I looked this up. According to the ONS... Office of National Statistics. In England and Wales in 2017, there were, there were 159 sets of triplets or more. Out of how many births? Oh, like 700,000. Okay. It's a very, very small percentage of triplets or more. It's a lot more common here, I think. I didn't look it up, but it's fairly common um, because of... Uh... Interbreeding. <laughs> They're pretty, but like uh, test tube babies and things like that, in vitro yeah, fertilization increases the it increases likelihood. the likelihood. Yes, and there are a number of television shows that feature quads and and quints and stuff. And they were back to cheaper by the dozen too. No, I was thinking of uh, Ricky Dicky, Ricky Dicky, Nikki Ricky Dicky, and Dawn. <sighs> On, I think, Disney Channel. The kids watch it. The Scottish doctor explains how multiple births can be difficult. There are lots of risks, especially of miscarriage, and they do offer something called, yikes, selective reduction. Yeah. Gemma, sharp as attack for once, knows that this means getting rid of one or more of the babies, and at this, we hear a baby cry in the distance. Subtle, Coronation Street. Very subtle. Yeah. It gives the other babies a chance, says the doctor. If she carries on as is, they'd look to do a C-section at 34. But that's proper little, says Gemma. But worst case, she could lose all four. The Scottish doctor goes on to paint a very bleak set of options, no matter what they decide to do. How many of those 159 births in England and Wales were live births? Were All of them. I didn't count the stillborn. Yeah. Or miscarried. Ches and Paul sneak off to the side. Ches doesn't want to risk Gemma, but Paul doesn't think she has any say in the matter. Correct. It's her body. Correct. Ches has no idea of what he wants. Then Paul decides now is a great time to talk about penguins. <laughs> they get through it, he says, apart from all the ones that don't. But we don't mention that. Gemma can do this, says Paul. He also doesn't mention the fact that penguins, the female lays the egg, but then she fucks off to the ocean. And it's the male who sits on the egg and takes care of the egg until it hatches. And then she comes back with food and stuff. And that would have been a perfect analogy of what should happen in Chesney and Gemma's relationship where she hands the kids over to Chesney and then fucks off to to do 
work or whatever and doesn't have very much to do with Chesney because they fight a lot about hoovering. Right. Meanwhile, and how the, the male penguin is more domestic than the female. Yeah, they balance the egg on their wee feet. Yes, they do. And it's on the wee huddle all yes. the while the land mass while the the females have gone off is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it's the middle of the winter. Right. So the females have a much further distance to travel to get back to the males. Correct. Sucks to be a male. Yeah, and and the males and don't eat for like three months right. because of it. They get skinny and stuff. Although, thanks to global warming, that landmass isn't getting quite so big. So it sucks less to be a male penguin and sucks more to be a polar bear. Yeah. Rise of the penguins, folks. You heard yeah. it here first. Meanwhile, Emma's telling Gemma that whatever she does is the right thing, but Gemma doesn't know how to feel. She was scared of being pregnant, and now she's scared of losing them. And on their own, Gemma and Chesney talk about what they should do. Gemma remembers a time when she had to get to Paul, and there was a twin simpatico thing between the two of them. Paul had got caught in something or other. He fell on the playground or something. Being twins is different from being siblings, she says. She can't bring herself to get rid of any of the babies. And Ches agrees and calls them penguins. And Gemma doesn't <laughs> appear to be confused by this. She must have heard this not. shit from Paul hundreds of times before. <laughs> then on Friday, Gemma and Chesney are home from hospital. She's not quite ready to tell people their news, but Chesney gives her a boost. Rita is gobsmacked. Four, she says. Rita wishes them all the best and Paul pipes up about the financial side of it and child benefit won't go that far. Where are they going to live? And Gemma thinks her and the four babies can live at Rita's. And Rita grabs her collar. With Paul as well. At the Rovers... Why is Paul Paul changed his tune on Friday, do you think? And being such a negative Nelly. Well, is it negative or is it practical? It's a wee bit negative. Because he doesn't know how much she'll get for four babies. Oh, he'd absolutely know that. He would not know that because he's never had a baby. He would. He would know that information. Paul would know. No, because every, they point out all the benefits that you they, can get. They point out know. to him that he has no idea. He would know. And he admits he has no idea. He would know. Other Rovers, Chesney proposes a toast to Rita for all her support. There'll be some tough times ahead, no doubt, but it makes all the difference to know that Gemma will always have a place to stay. Holy shit! Says everyone in the Rovers, and they all grab their collars. And Jenny pulls a pint on her shoes. <laughs> Privately, Jenny asks if Rita's ready for four babies. Maybe she could handle one, but she doesn't know where they're all going to sleep. Rita doesn't want to rain on Gemma's prey today. Let's just leave this till later, she says. Mm-hmm. Then Evelyn is sitting with Chess and Gemma and Rita and some knicker people, and Evelyn uh, observes that your sprogs will get her up in the housing priorities, but Gemma insists that she's going to be staying with Rita. Evelyn finds this absurd. Rita looking after four babies in that tiny wee flat, when all she wants to do is get wired into sweet sharing word searches. Rita confesses that it doesn't make a lot of sense and she doesn't have the energy and Gemma pretends that she's fine with us and then, clearly upset, runs out of the pub. It does sound like the ideal night in, doesn't it? Sweet sharing a word search. Yeah. I'd prefer a cryptic crossword, but yeah, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. In the community garden, Ches stands up for Rita. Gemma can't think of Rita being old. She's so sprightly, she says. Is she? (laughs) Ches offers her to move in with her uh, with him, which after last time seems like an even worse idea, Gemma calls it a disaster. And then she says, if God had meant for women to have quads, he'd have given them four boobs. Which is funny because 
A cow has four teats, but tends to only have one baby at a time. So That's why that's funny. Because of cows. <laughs> well, yeah. And then there was that alien with four boobs in that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And I don't think she had any babies. Total Recall. Yes. Yeah. That one. I remember. <laughs> you remember those four boobs I remember that vividly. <laughs> it was horrible. Yes. Did that appear in the remake? It did. did that, I haven't seen it. It did because everybody's like, oh, that has to be in the remake. And so, of course, it was. Yeah. Sinead pops into the community garden to tell them that they've created four little miracles and life is too short not to embrace that. A rousing speech by any measure. Thank right. you, Sinead. But especially from a cancer survivor who risked her life to give birth to her baby. She said, this is like the best thing that I've ever done. And they cut to little, whatever his name is. Bertie. Bertie. And he's just passed out. Right. Sucking on his little nook, nook, nook. Nook, nook. Nook, nook. Other overs, Jenny decides that she'd have a whip round for Gemma and Chesney and she throws in some loose change. And wonderful generosity shown by all the patrons of the Rovers. Correct. Even Evil Gran. She throws in a tenner, doesn't she? Yeah. Somebody throws in a tenner. Gemma and Chesney turn up back at the Rovers and Gemma is sorry for taking Rita for granted. Rita promises to support them and Jenny gives them the whip round, which is just asking for trouble. Yes. And and Gemma is genuinely chuffed. And Jenny says, don't be spending that on scrunchies and jean jackets because apparently it's the 1980s again. <laughs> she knows her too well. <laughs> so do you think that they're going to have the four babies? I think they will have the four babies. But I think it will be difficult, and I think the day of the birth that they'll be earlier than thirty weeks, and based be, on the current gestation, they'll we're, be we're looking at Christmas births, right? Yeah, and and there'll be a risk, and they won't know if one will live, and there'll be a moment where at least one of the babies is not crying. Why isn't the baby crying? The baby should be crying. Why is this baby ginger? <laughs> you know why the baby's ginger. Stop making me laugh. And then at the last moment, when they think the baby's gone, the baby will cough a little and then start crying. And it's a Christmas miracle. Huzzah. That's what's going to happen. Ginger babies for, for everybody. Because Santa Claus was a ginger. And then we had it all back to Ranked Bass. Yay! Got some uh, quickies now. Paul and Carla. Paula? The f- no, Paul. Peter and Carla. Peter. Paul. Peter, Paul, and Mary. And Titch. <laughs> and the mamas and the papas. That's not. On Monday, Peter is giving. No, Peter's not given Carla anything. Peter is visiting Carla. He tells her that she's looking better and a nurse comes in to tell him that he's found a bed for her in a facility in Carlisle. Carlisle? That's practically Scotland, says Peter. And he's not it is, wrong. Isn't it? Isn't Carlisle pretty right much like border. right on the border? Yep. Yeah. What's wrong with Scotland, Peter? Huh? Huh? Well, you got something against, That's you got a long some, way to travel. What is it, like 60 miles? Uh, maybe 100 or so. Oh, God. Not a hundred. Not a hundred miles. I'll be traveling 100 miles on Monday morning. Oh, boo-hoo for you. I'll be traveling 1,600, 1,700. Stay in the same state. (laughs) Yeah. Is my point. It's the best they can do until something closer to home comes up, says the nurse. And he promises that that will happen. 
even though he can't make promises like that. Then Ken and Simon see Peter and Roy's rolls, and Peter is exhausted. Carla is moving to Carlisle today, says Peter, and Ken is shocked. That's practically in Scotland, says Ken. Carla? Carlisle? Carla. Carlisle, Carla. Carla, Carla, Carla. Kidoki. Peter is going with and will book into a B&B. And then... Are there no hotels oh, the in Carlisle? B&B will be cheaper. And Simon asks when he's leaving. And he says that he's on the nine o'clock train. Oh, he's getting the train to Carlisle. Ooh. That's interesting because here a B&B would be more expensive. Peter's getting ready to leave. Roy gives uh, him a book of poetry because Carol looks like she's a poetry person right enough. And then Johnny turns up and gives Peter a bit of cash to help with the accommodation. Ken, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Ken is so proud of Peter for leaving rehab to go look after Carla. Well, no, he's not. Then Simon arrives with a backpack. He's coming too. He's going to travel back for his last exam, but he's going to stick it out with Peter and visit Carla and all that fun stuff. Huzzah. Huzzah! Tracy is a taxi driver. Yes, she is. takes the two of them off the cobbles and onto Carlisle. With some cheeky wee banter. Did you see how she threw the backpack in the in the trunk? <laughs> Just fucking lobbed it in there. Now without Not a, a big care. tip. So that's Carla and Peter out of it now. That's a bit wow, of an there's like happening. nobody. There's like nobody on the street anymore. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple more that are still to leave. Yes, but we knew that. We will get to this. In the meantime, though, let's talk about lovely horse. Tiny. I call it lovely horse because my horse in Red Dead Redemption Two, I call lovely horse. So is is that the name of your horse in Red Dead Redemption? Uh, is lovely horse. Lovely horse, yeah. <laughs> but you don't like horses. Terrified of horses, but this luckily is a computer animation, so and I don't have to smell it. Oh, On but Friday, they smell nice. Sally's chatting to Tim about Tiny. It seems Tim really opens up to the horse. He's been reading books about horses, he says. Sally thinks the syndicate should be pulling their weight. This can't go on. Tim had a heart attack, for fuck's sake. Come on. And Tim tells a story about a professor who used to read a story to his class, even though they were like 18 or something, and couldn't and he couldn't read. But now he thinks the professor might have had, might have known what he was talking about anyway, and he's going to look up that story again. But we don't find out what the story was. Oh, thank God. <laughs> in the Rovers, Sally approaches Jenny about helping out and paying her share in the horse. Jenny thinks that she was being hasty when she joined the syndicate and she thinks the terms have changed now that it's not a thoroughbred and it's an old nag. She wants out. Oh, go fuck yourself, Jenny. Because you agreed to this. You agreed to this. Sally got duped as well. So you still should be paying your share. This is so unfair and it makes me so angry that Jenny's so cavalier about it. And she's not the only one, is she, Broom? No, because at the factory, Sally complains about Jenny pulling out of the syndicate. Then Sinead looks sheepish, as this means more money for the remaining members. Sinead can't afford it either. She's out too, but it's Beth who makes her case for her. Right, and we knew that she was going to, because before Sally comes in, Sinead says to Beth, she's going to be really angry when she finds out. And Beth says, don't worry, leave it to me. Right. And Sean says, oh yes, because you're, you're so tactful, Beth. Yep. So it's just Sally and Yasmin that are left looking after the horse. And do you think Yasmin's going to back out as well? Probably. Yeah. Because she seemed to forget that she owned that horse last week. Belter, says Sally. Oi. 
So this is why, folks, if your friends agree to buy a horse with you, you get that money up front yep. before you pay for the horse instead Wise of works. paying for all of it. Why is what hell? Yes. Can we buy a horse broom? Nope. Aw. I don't know where this storyline's going, and I'm finding it hard to care. I like that Tim has this relationship with the horse. I think it's sweet and cute, and I like that. I don't like how catty these women are, you know, because, like, when Sally goes off, Sinead is, like, smiling at Beth, and everybody's giving thumbs up, like, oh, we, we, we pulled one over on Silly Sally, even though what we're doing is reprehensible because we made a promise and we don't intend to keep it. Nope. So maybe you shouldn't have gone in in, it in the first place if money is so tight. And Tiny is still a nice horse that you can ride. There's, there's nothing wrong with him besides the fact that he pees on a guy's shoes. But all, guess what? A thoroughbred would pee on your shoes as well. And you know what? Tiny is probably a much better horse for somebody like Sinead, who just got out of cancer, to be riding, who'd be sweet and gentle. It's not easy to ride a thoroughbred. They're sprightly. Just like Rita. <laughs> I don't think anyone's been riding Rita for a while, though. No. Our final storyline for the evening oh. is Norris's departure again. Oh. We haven't talked about Boo. this for a while. Norris hasn't been in it in ages. Boo. Isn't it now? On Wednesday, Rita yeah, comes into the Rovers and saves Norris from Sean's awful patter about Edinburgh. Sean's doing... Oh, yes, he's talking about the Bruins. And Urwilly. And Urwilly. <laughs> Norris has had three offers on the house and he still hasn't made it up with Frida. Rita says that they're as bad as one another because Norris is waiting for Frida to make the first move. And he confirms that he hasn't squared things with Mary either for the same reason. He's waiting for her to make the first move. Yeah, because Norris is a tit. Yep. Rhea goes to speak to Mary and asks her to speak sense into Norris. One of the two of you has to snap out of this. And Sean continues to annoy the fuck out of me with his Scottish accent as he goes on more about Urwally and the Bruins. The Bruins. We have a Bruins book somewhere <sighs> in the we? house. Yes. Burn it. Burn it now. No! Mary is sitting with Norris. Norris doesn't know why Mary is dressed in black all of a sudden. Brendan was bad news. He preyed on the vulnerable and the meek while his real wife was warm at home. He was never going to leave her. Everyone could see what was happening. How could she forget how much he hurt her? Because Norris knows that he can't. And Mary makes a thoughtful and Mary takes a thoughtful sip of her wine at this. Yeah. Forgetting, of course, that Norris has also hurt Mary's feelings and has been an utter dick to her. As recently as a couple of weeks ago. Seriously. Mary admits that she put Brendan on a pedestal, but she had a pedestal and no one to put on that pedestal. Then right. Jude came along and he went on the pedestal because he was a Weatherfield psycho. <laughs> Mary wishes that Norris had been there to help at the end, and uh, Norris does too. Jude probably needs a good spanking. She realises that Norris was just trying to protect her from Brendan, and they seem to make up. Meh. Mary will miss Norris when he's gone, but he says he might not be going anywhere because some things matter more. Aww. He'll miss the street, he says, and Mary is upset that he says that he won't miss her. Right. Norris takes her hand just as Frida comes back and catches them. Pig's tits, says Norris. <laughs> He insists they're just old friends making peace. And Frida thinks that Mary has been trying to get her claws into him for months. But Mary oh. says that's impossible because they're still married. Well, it can stay that way, says Frida. And she storms out. Oh. Norris called Mary round to the house. Norris has an announcement to make. He 
He's accepted an offer on the house and he and Frida are off to Edinburgh and getting married. Ta! Mary pretends to be fine about all this and she scoots off in the pretense of organising a do, but secretly, outside, she's torn to pieces. And Claudia walks by and says, Are you okay, darling? <laughs> Would you like a dance? <laughs> she does not say that. And then on Friday, Mary's putting some bunting up outside the rovers for Norris's farewell do. Audrey pops along and says that she'll try to make it. I wouldn't bother, love. And then number three is now sold. Rita wants to make sure that Juki has some Eartha kit for later on. Why? Oh, you'll see. Mm-hmm. For a dot. <coughs> <coughs> Norris should be at the rovers for his leaving do, but instead he's at home, still packing with Frida. He's going through previously packed boxes looking for his Commonwealth Games medal. Ugh. He got a medal from the Manchester 2002 Games for his volunteer work, which I actually remember watching. It was on all week, and Norris did get a medal. He was a medal bearer, and he was that as well. Sadly, the footage has been lost to the ages, and the doorbell goes, and it's Rita wanting to know where Norris has got to. He's looking for his medal. Rita confesses that they were watching the darts uh, when that happened in real life and missed the ceremony. And Nick Tilsley saw it, but he moved to Canada before he could tell anyone. Right. (laughs) Jenny has taken charge of some Norris balloons. Helium balloons where Norris looks like a right miserable old bastard on them. Right, and in one, he's got a neck brace. Because (laughs) apparently... That's the best picture Mary could find. We took a photo of that and we stuck it on a balloon. We stuck that on a balloon? <laughs> and then we bought a zoo. <laughs> Mary coos with delight. There's there's no sign of him at the pub until he eventually arrives, resplendent with his medal around his neck. Mary immediately loses her shit and goes off weeping into the ladies. Norris is so chuffed to have found his medal. It turns out he didn't even get the ribbon with it. He had to fashion it himself. And they continue to reminisce because there's time to fill and all these memories is enough to send Mary scuttling away back to the toilets again. Right. It was quite nice having them talk about... Old times. Old times. Yeah. And Evil Grand to be snarky about it. So at Norris's do, Norris sings off-key with Rita and Frida is the only one who seems to enjoy it, which makes sense. Right. And then Rita tells a story about Norris singing that particular song in a drag contest... At the Rovers, Mm -hmm. where he was resplendent in leopard print from head to toe and feathers. I'm scared to Google image that. (laughs) Privately, Norris wonders what would have happened if Rita had accepted his proposal for marriage. And Rita would rather set her tits on fire (laughs) before going down that memory lane again. Again, she hasn't been written in a while. And she doesn't want Norris. Nope. So Norris's taxi awaits. He says his goodbyes to Brian and Mary. Mary will miss him terribly. Parting is such sweet sorrow, she says, but he doesn't rule out a return, but refuses to elaborate. Then Mary starts singing a Cliff Richard song as the taxi quickly speeds off, and Mary breaks down one last time, comforted by Rita as Norris leaves the street, seemingly unsure that he's doing the right thing. Yes, but happy to get away from... The caterwauling. Yes, yes, which Frida calls it caterwauling as well. It is like... How do you know? Okay. I did not like this. I did not... (sighs) What can I just say? And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. I'm not a fan of consistently making Mary the butt of the joke. And 
making everybody kind of look at Mary like she's some stupid cow who's really annoying. They've been doing this for years. This needs to change. Let's give Mary a little bit of happiness that's sustainable. Please. For, for even for just sake. six months. Just make her happy. If Steve could be happily married, can't marry. Mary is a delight. She's sweet. She's funny. She's courteous to people. She is part of the glue that keeps the street together. I love her stories. I do. But except for that brief time with Jude, she's just so two-dimensional and they don't give her enough. And Patty's a great actress. She deserves more to work with. Yeah. Please give her more to work with. Please. And stop making her the butt of everyone's jokes. I hate that. Yeah. She takes care of Dev's kids. She practically runs that florist shop because yeah. Tracy's never there. Right. You know, and especially now that Tracy is driving cab. Seriously. Give Mary more to do. Give her a relationship. Give her another dimension and stop making her the butt of everybody's jokes all the time. Every yeah, once in a while is fine. Putting her in charge of something, making something hers. And... Right. Because she lives at Dev's. She's An employee works to Tracy. Tracy. Yeah. All she has is a little glass of whatever. And, and now, the, she doesn't even, now she doesn't even have Dev and Dev's kids to take care of. She doesn't have Tyrone's kid to look after after that whole stupid thing blew up so stupidly with um, Kev convincing Tyrone that Mary wants to get in his pants, which was just ridiculous and stupid. Although I did like the flossing. I will give you that. Yeah, let's make her happy. Please. Let's give her a reason to be happy other than that please. she just, just turns up in a good mood. I know it's a soap opera, but please, can we please make Mary happy? For a few months. Maybe oh, a year. Moment of the week. I don't know. What what would you say is your moment of the week? David Double Cross and Nick. Yeah, that was I good. I didn't see it was coming and it was absolutely glorious. When it was it did. good. It was good. Get out of my barber shop. You're it trespassing. Sitting there like a, a like Bond villain. A Bond villain in his chair that just spins around and he wasn't stroking a cat. He was mm-hmm. sipping on a beer. No, Mr. Bond. And he just... I expect you to die. Oh, I'm not falling for that one again. I didn't get out of my barber shop before I called the police. The way that he just pulled the rug from under Nick yeah. was wonderful. And Nick It was so satisfying like us, because see it coming. Nick is Ben. Such a dick. Yep. So that's our moment, moment of, of the week. week. Moment of the week. The boring on the moment of the week. You mentioned something that was boring. I didn't really like Tim talking about his horse. Or his horse book. Or his horse. <laughs> no, there was something else. Um, it, 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 Sarah. Sarah and Gary were boring or something at some point, weren't they? Or Dev. Was Dev boring? No, no I don't think so. Was it Asher definitely going to that party and getting Adi to cover for her? Was that what it was? I don't know. Then we've got Jim up the dog. That, that, that whole thing, the, the whole trip to India was kind of boring. It was just an excuse to get Dev off the show for a little while. I wasn't really bored by that. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were parts of it that was really good, like with 
evil grand was nothing boring this week something had to have been boring i honestly think that tim's book was boring i thought it was i thought it was quite sweet because it reminded us that tim can't read oh here we go sarah's phone wasn't insured oh yes see i knew it was a gary and sarah thing yeah it was sarah finding her little doodad or no, 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 it was Sarah afterwards telling Gail that her phone wasn't insured. Yep. And she's on the phone and she's like, well, thanks a lot for nothing. And slams the phone down and mm-hmm. tells us that her phone wasn't insured after all. And she has to pay, what it was like, 700 quid for a new one. Oh, two So cares. she's just going to stick with old her old one. Anyway. No, well, she's going to stick with her old phone, which is fine. And she just bought that new one and she had insured it. And what is wrong with you, Sarah? That's our boring moment of the week. It is approaching a quarter after ten. Oh, really? To, yeah, yes, please. Let's, wrap, this let's up. wrap this up, my darling. So if you want to drop us an email or if you want to uh, Skype us and leave a voicemail. Ooh. Or that- if you want to leave us a little tip if you think that we're doing a competent job <laughs> going through the storylines, here's how you can do so. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com on email, on the Skype and on PayPal. If you want to get us on Twitter or Facebook, and please, we just need another four followers to break 200. We're at Cory Podcast. Please follow. Please. Please, please. please. <laughs> and please. we have a blog, please. which is the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com, which I put in a little uh, piece about uh, Gary and the factory this week. So you can go and G-g-g-g-Gary check. Gary and the factory. Anything else? No, I think that about covers it. Thanks for making it to the end of another podcast. We will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. That's right. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.